Hey, what's up, guys? We are so excited that you were joining us today. If you're a part of our Grace community, whether in person or online, we would love to connect with you on social media at the Grace AG on all social outlets. But the best way to connect is to join our online community at live.graceassembly.org. Here, you can connect and engage with other Grace members around the world. So, we hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Let's jump right in. It was uh, a month ago today that the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. And how many know that was a pretty historic day? It was a day that made history. Um, it was a day that I know many of us have been praying, millions of us really, have been praying for years that that would actually happen. And to see it actually happen was nothing short of a miracle. And so there was a lot to be happy about. There was a lot to celebrate about that. And so uh, the, the decision or the announcement came out on a Friday. Friday is my day off, mine and Tracy's day off. And so for those of you who think, the pastors only work on Sunday, I'm praying for you. <laughs> the Lord will give you compassion, all right? Uh, but these, these people on this team work very, very hard. And so it was our day off, and so uh, I had the opportunity to watch a lot of news about this decision. I was online reading lots of articles about it. And I'll be honest with you, um, I spent too much time on social media that day. And the reason is, is because social media is just not good for my spirit. Because there was a lot of people, a lot of people that I know, celebrating, you know, praise God, giving God thanks for this amazing decision, but there were also a lot of people pushing back, especially against Christians, against churches and believers saying things like, you guys aren't really uh, pro-life, you're actually just pro-birth. And you don't care about people at all, you actually only care about political power. Maybe I'm naive, but I, I, was, I was pretty disappointed by all of that. And then the more I read, you know, about people's opinions and their attitudes, including some famous sports uh, people of teams that I root for, you know, saying stuff that ticked me off. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to root for you anymore. <laughs> you know, and then there was a term that was thrown out a lot uh, coming against white evangelicals. All the white evangelicals trying to control us, trying to tell us what to do and all this kind of stuff. And for a moment, I'm going, hey, I'm a white evangelical. I fit that definition. And I'm just going to be transparent with you. I became upset. I, I, I just, I was mad. I was like, I, mean, I, felt, I felt, do you ever feel this way? You're like, Bruh. And then the Lord gently reminded me that something my dad used to say to me all the time that most of the time, the issue is not the issue. That all of these people coming against the church and coming against this or that, many of them, that's really not the issue. The issue is that somewhere along the way, many of them have, had, have been disappointed by God or disappointed by the church or maybe even wounded by the church. And so really their issue is not with me, it's with the Lord. And that gave me compassion to pray for people. And it also reminded me that I should probably practice my own preaching. Grace 
and truth. And so that's where we're at in this series. And our theme verse is John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And of course, the Word, specifically talking about Jesus here. So the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, would you say it with me, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is full of grace and truth. Most of us think that you're either one or the other. But the Bible says that Jesus was equally both. And so if Jesus is our goal, and he is, if our goal as followers of Jesus is to become like Jesus, then we too need to become, want to become, desire to become people who are full of grace and truth. That's our heart. That's what God wants. And if you were with us a couple weeks ago when we started, we looked at the story in John chapter 8 of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. The Pharisees wanted to stone her because they were full of truth and no grace. But Jesus said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And he says to her, I don't condemn you. He gave her grace. Then he says to her, but stop sinning. So he gave her truth. And so uh, I feel that this is a model that Jesus has given to us that we can follow when it comes to dealing with our culture, when it comes to dealing with people. How do we approach whatever? We always approach it with grace and with truth. So how do we apply this principle of grace and truth to the uh, subject of abortion? Abortion is such an emotional issue. It's such a political issue. But I want to start out by saying that abortion should not be a political football. Abortion is not a set of statistics or numbers. Because the abortion issue is a people issue. For every abortion, there's a child that we will meet in heaven. There's a mother who has been wounded. Every child has a father. There are family members. And they're all affected when abortion takes place. These people are not a statistic. Around here, we like to say that every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God. Let me read to you Abby's story. I read recently of a girl named Abby. She was in her early 20s. She had grown up in a Christian home, attended a Christian school, and had even joined a church. But a relationship with Jesus was far from a reality in Abby's life. Instead, she was consumed with her work. She got caught up in the pleasures and pursuits of the world. She met a man who captivated her, and before long, they had given themselves to each other, and everything seemed to be going great. Until Abby discovers that she's pregnant and the man that she loves is gone. So in just one instant, 
It's, a, it's as if Abby's whole world came crashing down around her, and she thought, this can't be. I can't have a baby. My reputation will be ruined. My family will be shamed, and, and my career will be over. So she is just surrounded by panic and gripped with fear, and so she sees one solution to her problem, one way out of her predicament. So one Friday afternoon, she walks into an abortion clinic, and with a couple of, within a couple of hours, her problem is solved, and her predicament is taken care of, or so she thought. The following Monday, she returns to business as usual and life as normal, hiding the secret of what she had done as if nothing had ever happened. But she would never be the same. Abby's not alone. Conservative estimates tell us that one-third of women in America either have had an abortion or will have an abortion in their lifetime. Now, I want you to think about that, one-third. That would mean that potentially one-third of the people that, of the women that you work with have had an abortion or will experience it. One-third of the women in your neighborhood, one-third of the people you go to, are, do you get the picture? That's a lot of pain. That, that's a lot of suffering. And every one of, those, every one of those women matter to God. And the reality is that abortion has been called a silent killer because it's more than just the baby who suffers when abortion happens. Study after study shows that women experience, most women experience post-abortion distress marked by guilt and shame and grief and sorrow and Anger and rage, loneliness, bitterness, confusion, regret, remorse, hopelessness, panic, self-hatred, despair, rejection, fear, flashbacks, nightmares, and in some cases, infertility. And those result in a lack of ability to sleep, withdrawing from other people, loss of normal sources of pleasure, self-punishment, eating disorders, promiscuity, damaged relationships, cutting, and much more. 10% of mental health problems among females and 35% of suicidal behaviors among women are attributed to abortion. Did you know that if a teenager experiences abortion, their rate of suicide goes up times 10? In the Journal of Social Issues, it's estimated that 81% of women surveyed said that they felt victimized by the abortion process and that they were either coerced into the abortion or that information about alternatives or the actual procedure had been withheld. I want, I want us to take some time here and reflect on the reality of the pain that people are experiencing, that we need to have compassion for those who have experienced this in their life and in their families' lives. Instead of just Instead of just going immediately to our social media posts and saying we need, to be, we need to say what we need to say and start throwing rocks from behind our computers, can we pause for a second and truly have compassion on people who are suffering, who are broken? For every child that has died, there is a mother that is most likely suffering, and, and we need to think about that and have compassion. So if I could pause for just a moment and, and say to you that if you have experienced abortion or if you have supported 
somebody having an abortion or you've advised somebody to have an abortion. I know a message like this might make you feel like, hey, well, I'm in the wrong church. A message like this may, you're like, what? He's trying to beat us over the head with this. No, 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 no. I actually want to say the opposite. I just want to express the fact that God loves you and that God does forgive and God does heal. And God does restore. There's not a perfect person in this room. Every one of us have experienced the forgiveness and the grace of of Almighty God. Without it, we wouldn't be here today. And so I just want to be very clear in saying that we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you you are here among us because we all need the grace and the mercy and the kindness of Jesus Christ. So... As a church and as followers of Jesus, how do we respond to those who say, hey, you only care about birth. You don't care about the baby. You don't care about the mother. You don't care about any of those things. You're only concerned about political power. What do we do? Well, I think what we do is we keep doing what we've been doing and making a difference in the lives of babies and women in our community. Uh, and so in your message notes, you have a list of, what, of different opportunities that you can make a difference in serving uh, both babies and women and families in our community. And one of the best ways is today, we're going to have a baby shower for Indiana Diaper Source. So after each service, uh, we're going to encourage every one of you, if you can, take a few minutes and go across the parking lot here. You'll see the signs there and take a look through Indiana Diaper Source. And today is also a baby shower. And so we're encouraging everybody to bring items to donate to Indiana uh, Diaper Source so that we can give them out to needy families in our community. And oh, by the way, all of that is led by the wonderful and amazing Melissa Rojas. Would you welcome her as she comes for a moment and shares a little bit about that? Thank you, Pastor Wayne. We are so, I am so honored to get to be a part of Indiana Diaper Source. Um, I'll try to get through this without crying, but when it's your passion you're talking about, sometimes the tears just flow, so I'll, I'll do my best. But thank you, Pastor Wayne. Thank you for your heart, for the community, and thank you, Grace family, um, for just your, your giving hearts, your generosity, your love and embrace for the community. Because of you, Indiana Diaper Source last year distributed over 60,000 diapers and over 150,000 baby wipes. Yeah. Did you know that according to the National Diaper Bank Network that one in three families with diaper-aged children are struggling and leaving diapers on their babies longer than they should? That's one in three. That's not in poverty-stricken areas. That's across the nation. That's in our state. That's in our community, in our county, and in our church. And that's why we started Indiana Diaper Source. Our heart and our passion is to simply shine Jesus by serving. We get to shine Jesus in a lot of different ways at Indiana Diaper Source. One of my favorite ways is the one-on-one appointments. Moms can call and make an appointment while they're pregnant or after they've had the baby, and we get to sit down with them one-on-one, face-to-face, 
We get to hear about what all they're struggling with and where they're at in life. We get to pray for them. We get to connect them. If it's they have needs outside of what we're doing, um, we can connect them with the food pantry or we can connect them with other community resources. We truly get to make a difference in their lives. When they come for their appointment, they get to step into that baby boutique and have a shopping experience, and a lot of them call it their baby shower. I, I, I would like to schedule my baby shower. <laughs> they get to come in and they pick out their diapers and their wipes, their formula, baby food, all brand new baby items, stuff that they're really in need of. And if you've brought presents for the, the baby shower, you know how expensive that is. Another way that we get to shine Jesus is through our diaper drive-throughs. Um, we hold two of them a month, and and while people while the moms are in lines, we have volunteers that go out and we pray with them. And again, they can just swing in and grab diapers and wipes and and head on out. Another service that we offer is we do Bible studies for the women that have been through abortion um, with a, and, and for the women that have been sexually abused. We have a nine-week Bible study where we get to walk them through the Word of God and just let them experience His love and His healing at a deeper level. We even help other agencies with diapers, wipes, and formula throughout the county. We partner with Johnson um, County WIC office and the Johnson County Maternal Child and Health Task Force every week. Again, the stats are, are one in three families. But with the, the, the inflation and the rising cost of fuel, those numbers are, are increasing every week. So far to date this year, we've already distributed over 70,000 diapers and over 200,000 baby wipes. Yeah. It's a big deal. It really is a big deal. And again, our heart at IDEA, at Indiana Diaper Source, our heart and our passion is, is to simply shine Jesus so brightly that we are changing lives one diaper at a time. By strengthening families, we're strengthening the community. And so today, like he said, you're invited to, to walk over and uh, tour the baby boutique and, and just get a glimpse of what God's doing over there. It, if you've never been in there, it will blow your mind. It, as soon as you step in the door, you feel his presence. Um, if you didn't bring a gift today and you want to do so, we'll still be set up in the hub at, at our kiosk next week as well. Um, and God is doing some really incredible things too. Um, First service was the, the first to hear this, but you are the second group that gets to hear this. Um, Indiana Diaper Source was just awarded a $30,000 grant to purchase a mobile diaper distribution vehicle. Yeah. Yeah, so we not only are able to distribute diapers and wipes and items that are needed here, our goal is that um, within the first six months of having our vehicle, we'll be able to establish relationships in all nine townships of Johnson County to get diapers to those that can't make it to us. So anyway, thank you guys. So you have a list in your, uh, in your message notes of the different items that you can bring to the open house. And again, if you didn't bring it today, bring them this week or next Sunday, and we'll be happy to get those to the right people. And so a couple of the ways that you can help, you can see there on your message notes, is angel care. A few years ago, a, a lady in our church, God gave her a vision to open a home. 
for women in crisis pregnancies. And so we are very close to opening the doors of angel care. And so you might want to uh, talk to Yadi out in the hub after the service about that or maybe ways you can help or ways you can sponsor a room or different things like that. There's also opportunities for you to learn more about adoption and foster care. Again, there's a table in the hub for people for you like to, that you would like to talk about those things. And then there's information there about local crisis pregnancy centers. Again, that you can donate, you can serve and volunteer, you can make a difference in helping all of those things. And so I want to encourage you, one of the ways that we show grace is by helping. Somebody say amen. So we lead with grace, but we speak the truth in love. The reality is, is that the leading cause of death in the world is not cancer, nor is it heart disease. The leading cause of death in the world is abortion. 42 million a year, 115,000 a day. Now, I know that many would say, but pastor, abortion is such a complex issue. There are so many ramifications to it. I hear what you're saying, but I actually think that abortion is a very simple issue. And I think it's much more simple than people would like to make it. Because it really comes down to just answering one question. When does life begin? Your answer to that question determines every other decision. It determines every other issue. If we can simply answer the question, when does life begin? And I want to make the case to you uh, right now that life begins at conception. Life begins at conception. So when is a baby a baby? When is it just a clump of tissue? And when is it a human being? And this is so important because uh, Gregory Kukul says that if the unborn is not a human person, no justification for abortion is necessary. But if the unborn is a human person, then no justification is adequate. Life begins at conception. And this is supported both biblically and scientifically. Now, let me show you from the Bible just a few verses. Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. You formed my inward parts. God, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. Even though we can't see the baby inside the womb, God says, I see you. And when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the day that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Jeremiah says, before I formed you in the womb, God says, I knew you. Something fascinating I'd never seen before, but I want you to notice in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, this is Isaiah prophesying about the birth of Jesus. Notice that he says, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So when we go to the book of Matthew and Matthew writes about the birth of Jesus, he quotes this same verse from Isaiah, except he says it this way, the virgin shall be with child 
I want you to notice that conceiving and being pregnant are the same thing in the Bible. Life begins at conception. The Bible declares it over and over again. But did you know that science supports that as well? Overwhelmingly, the University of Chicago, not a Christian university, released a survey in 2019, only three years ago, that found that 96% of biologists in America believe that life begins at the moment of conception. Well, are you saying that 96% of these biologists are pro-life? Not at all. But they all agree that when the egg is fertilized, at that very moment, something happens that makes the DNA of that thing different from its mother. And that something has begun to happen in that individual. From the very moment of fertilization, this new organism has its own DNA, distinct from the mother and the father, meaning it's a unique person. And as the embryo grows, it develops a heartbeat 22 days after fertilization, its own circulatory system, and its own organs. From the very moment of fertilization, it is a new organism and will continue to grow and develop as long as nutrition is provided and its life is not ended through violence or illness. It is indisputably a human, the moment of conception. And so what that means is, by definition, when one human takes the life of another, that is called murder. And it also means that there is no such thing as a safe abortion. Because in an abortion, the child always dies. Life begins at conception. Can I tell you another story? This time about a baby named Rachel. Rachel is two months old, but she's still six weeks away from being a full-term baby because she was born prematurely at 24 weeks, in the middle of her mother's second trimester. On the day of her birth, Rachel weighed one pound, nine ounces. She was so small, she could rest in the palm of her daddy's hand. She was a tiny, living human person. In fact, heroic measures were taken to save this child's life. Why? Because we have an obligation to protect and to care for other humans who would die without our help, especially little children. Rachel was a vulnerable and valuable human being. But get this, if a doctor came into the hospital room and instead of caring for baby Rachel, what if that doctor took Rachel out of his baby, out of the mother's arms and in, instead of caring for her, killed her? How many know that would be homicide? However, if it's the same little girl, the same Rachel was just inches away inside the mother's womb, she could be legally killed by abortion. To any reasonable person, this makes no sense. There is no logic to it. And I'm going to quote Linda Seiler, who was our guest last week. She said this. I don't know if you caught it. You can't oppose a God of truth and operate in logic at the same time. A pastor, 
What if people have, uh, what if they're raped? What if there's incest? What if there is, you know, the life of the mother? Well, we're going to talk about that, but can I show you that the primary reason that people get abortion, over here you see these small slices of this pie are rape, incest, life of the mother, but the overwhelming majority in this blue circle are social and economic reasons like uh, 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 uh I can't afford to have a baby. I don't want to be a single mother and things like that. So what we see is that the vast majority, well over 90% of abortions are a matter of convenience. Those who support abortion will be very vocal in telling you that they're fighting for the woman who was raped or for the life of the mother that's in danger, when in truth, this graph shows us that the overwhelming fight for abortion is the fight for convenience. Abortion on demand and without apology. Can we speak the truth here? I want you to meet Karen Taylor who came into this world as a result of a rape. Her mother was 13 years old when she became pregnant. Her young mother had a choice. Do I end Karen's life with abortion or do I let her live? She chose to let Karen live. And Karen was adopted. And as a result of that choice, many lives have been changed. Because Karen grew up and married a pastor. And she and her husband Keith are the pastors at Cross Tabernacle Church in Terre Haute, Indiana, where I served as a youth pastor many years ago. Keith and Karen have three sons, all in full-time ministry, three daughters-in-law. And as a result of this 13-year-old girl's choice, lives have been changed. People have been discipled because this girl allowed Karen to live, to grow up, to get married, and to make a difference. Would we murder a child outside its womb because of a crime that somebody else committed? Would it be okay to go up to Karen and find her and say, hey, you know, you were conceived by rape. We need to take your life? It's crazy. Why would we punish another human being for the crime of some other human being? Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. and visit the Holocaust Museum. If you've never been there, I strongly urge you to take time to go there. It's, it's a sobering experience. It's a, it's a surreal experience because what it is is it's the history of the Jewish Holocaust, when Hitler and the Germans killed six million Jews just because they were Jewish. When you walk through this museum, uh, I saw a train car, not very big at all, that would have been packed with humans like cattle, and they would be taken to these death camps where they, many of them, most of them would die in a gas chamber within 30 minutes of arriving at the concentration camp. I saw a, a replica of the firing lines where Jewish men, many Jewish men, were lined up to be shot by the Nazis. But I'll never forget this display right here in the museum. It's called the shoe room. And in this room are actual shoes 
of boys and girls and women who died in a gas chamber. They left their shoes behind. And as I stared at this, you know, you think you know history and you think you care about these things. And then you're there and you see this and all of a sudden the depth of evil becomes even more real in your life. I would go on from the shoe room and there is another room in the museum there where there's just full of news articles and newsreels of, of the news of the day. And what I found is that it was uh, the Americans and the allies had opportunity to destroy these concentration camps well before the war was over. And for some reason, chose not to. I love my country. I love America. But we still got to reckon with that decision. And then there's a video footage. The war is over. Uh, the Allies have conquered Germany. And many of the American military forced the townspeople who were in the same towns as these concentration camps, they rounded them up and forced them to walk through the concentration camps to see and to smell and experience the death that had occurred just miles from where they lived because they would have heard the train whistles and many of them would have heard the cries and the screams of the people that were dying. And yet, they did nothing. Now, before we get on our moral high horse, can I go ahead and tell you that many of us are doing nothing about a much worse Holocaust than that? And can I tell you that both morally and spiritually, doing nothing is not optional. I like what Randy Alcorn said about it. He said, to endorse or even to be neutral about killing innocent children created in God's image is unthinkable in the scriptures, was unthinkable to Christians in church history, and should be unthinkable to Christians today. We have to do something. What do we do? Let me give you a few ideas. Number one. We need to pray up. Now, what do you mean by that? The reality is abortion is still legal in the United States of America. And the reality is states are now deciding what those restrictions are going to be. Thank God we actually have the opportunity to make this decision, and it wasn't mandated by a few judges. And this week, uh, the Indiana legislature has called a special session to consider the laws in Indiana over abortion. And can I go ahead and tell you, we need to be praying. Because can I tell you that, that the victory can effectively be lost by some in the state house who are being pressured by the national whoever and are focusing on Indiana just like they did with RIFRA a few years ago and trying to make us look like backwood hicks. So we need to pray because we know that Ephesians 6 says we're not wrestling against those people. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Our wrestling is against powers and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. So how are we going to win? We need to pray. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit will work in people's lives and open the door 
to the truth. Indiana Right to Life is calling today, Sunday, July 24th, as a day of prayer for Indiana. And I want you to join with me today. Let's pray specifically about this upcoming legislative session, uh, that the voices of life will be heard, that lies will be exposed, liars will be exposed by the power of Jesus Christ so that people can be saved, so that babies can be saved, so that mothers can be healed. Somebody say amen. Let's pray. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is speak up. The unborn are voiceless. Let's be their voice. Students, make speeches about it. Let's, let's write articles about it. Let's speak up for life, even when it's unpopular, even when people aren't going to like us. We speak the truth in love, by the way. We're not hammering people over the head, but we've got to speak up for the truth. And can I tell you, this includes speaking up at the ballot box. Because any politician who is for abortion is a politician that I'm not voting for. And it really is that big a deal. It really is that important because life matters. Then I want to encourage you to show up. I want you to show up. Show up today uh, at this baby shower. Show up by going out and getting some of those items for these families, these, these mothers that need the diapers. Show up at Angel Care. Show up at CareNet. Volunteer. Go talk to somebody about foster care or adoption. Go talk to somebody about volunteering. Pastor, I can't do all of those things. No, you can't. It's impossible. But let's do something. And another way that you can show up is this coming uh, Tuesday, there will be a rally at the State House sponsored by Indiana Right to Life. It's at 11 a.m., it's in the south atrium of the state house. And so I want to encourage you, if at all possible, to be there. And we are organizing a bus uh, to take at least 47 people from our parking lot to downtown. And if you'd like to be on that bus on your way out, go to the red information tent and just sign your name and your information, and you can ride on the bus. The first 47 people who sign up have a spot on the bus. But if you can't do that, I encourage you, if at all possible, to be present uh, for this important rally. Because how many know we need to speak up and show up? And I am so, so glad that in Johnson County, our state representative is somebody who not only supports life, but defends life. And uh, Michelle Davis is here in church today. Would you welcome her as she comes to speak for just a moment here today? Good morning. Well, following that, I'll let you know that I will show up and I will speak up, but I need help with prayers. We need prayers at the State House, most definitely. So watching that video and coming here today, um, I, I want to share something with you. So a couple of, or last week, the beginning of last week at the federal level, um, we had a recognition of Marriage Act that was going through the House, and it passed because we're in a minority, but I was texting with a congressman from Indiana, Congressman Banks, and I thanked him for his no vote. His reply back to me was, Michelle, what a time to serve. That has stuck with me for the past week since I received that text. And as I lay down at night, as I do my things throughout the day, it keeps coming back to me on, exactly, 
what a time to serve. What an honor I have to represent you all at the State House to be able to speak up and show up and pray up. And what a time to serve. So I'm so thankful for you all for that. I also want to share a story. I wasn't going to, but I'm going to again, if that's okay. <laughs> so <laughs> um, Josh and I were at a conference last week. It was an awesome conference. Um, conservative Christians throughout the nation, state legislators, and we got to meet Coach Kennedy. I don't know if you've been following Coach Kennedy, but about a week after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, they also decided that it was okay to pray in public anytime, anywhere. Coach Kennedy, yeah, thank you. <laughs> So Coach Kennedy came to the conference and he shared with us his story. He is a football coach in the state of Washington at a high school, a public school. And at the end of the games, he would go to the 50-yard line, kneel, and pray alone. Well, he was fired for that. It's been seven long years and it went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said, it's okay to pray in public anytime, anywhere. So. What brings it back full circle, what makes that story even better is that Coach Kennedy's birth mother was a teenage single mom or teenager she contemplating aborting him. She decided to have him, and he was adopted then. And look at the lives he's changed from that. I'm going to leave you with that, and I would ask that you will also do what Pastor Wayne said was Show up, speak up, and pray up. I like that. That's going to be my new thing. Thank you. I'd like to introduce you to my friend, Josh Harshberger. If you'd stand for a moment. Josh leads the Daniel Initiative. Uh, and what he does is he focuses on building relationships between pastors and churches and political leaders because of Josh, I've sat in the office with the governor. We've had faith conversations and many other people. So thank you, Josh, for what you do. Would you, would you honor him today? So I want to I wanna close with this. Because, again, I, I think if we're not careful, people can walk away with the wrong idea of the heart of God, especially about this. So if I could just revisit this one more time, that if you've experienced abortion, been part of it in any way, I just want to clarify that God forgives freely. God is a God of forgiveness. He's a God of mercy. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 43, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That includes abortion. 
It includes whatever sin might be in your life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad that God doesn't condemn us? He gives us grace. And God is ready to extend grace to anybody who would receive it here today. That's good news. But God doesn't just forgive freely. God heals deeply. Your wounds, your hurts, the things that are in your life that you don't want to be there. God, listen, do we need to remember some of the things that we've done as a, as a deterrent for not doing them again? Sure. That's wisdom. But you don't have to live with torment or shame over the things that have been part of your life because we serve a God who heals deeply. And this is illustrated in this story in the New Testament. Jesus is in the home of one of the Pharisees. Remember, they're all truth, no grace. A woman comes in to the house. The Bible calls her an immoral woman. We don't know what specifically her sin was all about, but she anoints the feet of Jesus the Pharisees begin to rebuke her. Remember what Jesus said to her? Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The gospel is a gospel of peace. Not torment, not fear, not anger, not rage. If that's your struggle, if that's your issue, can I encourage you at the foot of the cross of Jesus? There's not just forgiveness, there's restoration, there's peace. He does it because God restores completely. He's restored. God is a God of restoration. God can take what the enemy meant for bad and he can turn it for good. Matter of fact, God can take your story of shame and hurt and pain and he can turn it around that now that becomes your ministry to help somebody else, to encourage them, to walk with them through the valley. And you thought, see, the devil thought that he was going to use that to destroy you. And God's going to actually use that to make a difference in somebody else's life. That's the grace of God. That's the kindness of Jesus. That's the message of the Bible. That's the message of this church. That's the heart of God. That's what God wants for all of us today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes if you're here today and perhaps you're far from God. Perhaps you're not as close to the Lord as, as you once were. And, and a message like this, for hopefully in, in the spirit like this, the spirit of God is tugging at your heart and just helping you to realize, hey, I need to make things right with God. I don't like the way I'm living. I don't like the things that I'm doing. And I'm ready to repent. And the word repent simply means to change direction. I'm not going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to follow Jesus. The old song says, just as I am. You don't have to figure your life out before you come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus. Let him do a work in your life. If that's you here today, I want to pray with you. And I want to lead you in prayer. A confession of faith. You're not praying it to me because that wouldn't make any difference. But you're talking to the God who made you, who loves you, who sent his son to die for you. It's he. It's him that you need. Do you mean business with God? Would you pray this with me and others around you are going to pray as well? But let's pray it out loud together. Heavenly Father, I surrender. My life is yours. I agree with you that I've messed up. 
I've broken your laws. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. From this day forward, I'm following Jesus, embracing the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you give God praise for the gospel of grace, the gospel of healing, the gospel of restoration. Come on, somebody. Don't patty cake for Jesus. Let's give God our best praise. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to the Grace Assembly of God podcast so you're up to date on all sermons. Also, if you want more Grace content, make sure you subscribe to the Deeper Grace podcast, where Pastor Wayne will dive deeper into his most recent message. Have a great week, and God bless.